I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kinda Cute. And if you are new here, welcome. My name's Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kinda Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Let's just get into it today, guys. I have so many things I want to talk about. I'm like kind of exhausted looking at all the things I want to talk about. But we have to start out with my absolute best news of the past week. And that is that Harry Styles is going to be starring in a movie with Florence Pugh. It's a thriller. The script has been circulating since 2019. In it, uh, Florence and Harry will play husband and wife. And I'm dying because this script was actually taken over by Olivia Wilde and Katie Silverman. They did Booksmart together, and I've probably talked about it on here before. And Katie Silverman also did uh, Set It Up, I think it was called, that had Zoe Deutsch in it. Was it Set It Up, Kinsey? The one with Glenn yeah. yeah. Um, and I went to college with Katie Silverman. She has no idea who I am. And I know I'm always saying that I went to college with these people because it's literally because I am the least successful person I went to college with. So I went to school with all of these people who are doing these bomb ass things. And I'm sitting here talking into my mic with like 50 of you guys listening. So, you know, we can't all have it all. So to say I'm jealous is an understatement because Katie is definitely going to get to meet Harry and I'm so jealous. And it's also a little fascinating to me because Harry actually took this role over from Shia LaBeouf who dropped out. So I just think that's so funny that Harry's playing a Shia role. I I think he's going to be great in it. This is going to be his first sort of like leading role because what I've read about the script is that he will be in the whole movie. It's not just going to be like a little drop in and drop out. But with this being taken over by a whole woman production team, I don't know, maybe things will change, but I'm really interested to see what direction it's going to go in. Speaking of movies, Addison Rae of TikTok fame and also being besties with Kourtney Kardashian, is going to be starring in the remake of She's All That. But this time around, it's called He's All That. And it's funny timing because I just watched Love Guaranteed, which stars Rachel Lee Cook, who I literally haven't seen in anything since She's All That. Um, And it was... It was sort of awful. Like at the beginning, I was like, okay, you know, this isn't the worst romantic comedy I've seen on Netflix. And then it just slowly deteriorated into I don't even know what. And maybe partially I was annoyed because Rachel plays a civil litigator, which is the kind of law I do. And just like the absurdity of like her having this huge trial against someone who's basically like Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop and they go to trial in like six weeks like it just the absurdity of it all I was like okay (laughs) and I mean that's definitely not the most absurd thing about that movie but it was one of many Uh, and back to Courtney and Addison um Their friendship, I know a lot of people have surmised what it's about, why they're friends, because Addison's only 19, Courtney is in her 40s, and to me, it signals this sort of new generation of Kardashians that are coming in. I really think Courtney's trying to kind of bridge that gap and, you know, help Mason and P and and Rain sort of, I don't know, take over as the next generation, and, you know... We were talking last week about how Keeping Up with the Kardashians is going into its last season, and a lot of people are surmising that the Kardashians are going to switch to a streaming service, because I don't remember if I mentioned it last week, but 
I think the Kardashians are very aware that the way you stay famous is by staying on TV. And I think like as time progresses, we keep thinking, oh, you know, like traditional TV, traditional media, it's not as necessary as it once was. But I still think by being on traditional TV, it gives yourself so much legitimacy and it really is like the best advertising tool you can ask for. So I think the Kardashians know that they have to stay on TV. But this is my theory. Hear me out. What if the Kardashians create their own streaming network? Like there's so many streaming networks now that what's one more? And they definitely have enough money and connections to be able to pull this off. And I mean, hell, if Quibi or whatever the hell it's called can do it, I feel like the Kardashians can. I That's my prediction, just putting it out there. Now up, up with my uh, most depressing news of the week. Jerry Harris from Cheer, who was literally my favorite character. I was just tweeting with my friends the other week how he must be protected at all costs. He's an angel. We don't deserve him. Um... Well, he's now been accused of child pornography. And I actually read the whole US Today article when it came out. And it's not exactly how it sounds. I'm not trying to downplay this, but it's two boys who, at the time when this occurred, were 13. Jerry was 19. He was coaching cheer through like an affiliate of a varsity program, the the company called Varsity. And allegedly he was soliciting these two twins for, you know, naked photos. And that's where this child pornography charge comes in. So I don't know. And, you know, I'm reading this new article that just came out today. This was on TMZ. And Apparently, on September 14th, he Harris admitted to engaging in social media conversations with the minors that were sexual in nature, attempting to entice them into performing sex acts with him in person, and to soliciting and receiving child pornography on Snapchat from at least between 10 to 15 under other individuals he knew were minors. So I think that's where, obviously, it's a huge issue. Originally, when I had read this complaint in the whole article... In USA Today, it was just these two twins, but now it seems like maybe there's more people coming out. And it's just, it's so sad for all of the parties involved. It's so sad for the people who have been taken advantage of. And and I feel sad for Jerry just because watching Cheer, he didn't have an easy childhood. And I feel like there's probably, you know, he's putting on this veneer and there's a lot under the surface that was never resolved. So oh, it's just, you know, another thing in the dumpster fire that is 2020. On to happier news, I, of course, watched Dancing with the Stars this week. Let me tell you guys who I'm rooting for. Um, I think my top picks right now are Sky Jackson, Nelly, and Monica Aldama, ironically, from Cheer. And I actually saw another rumor that Jerry was actually supposed to be in that position that Monica's in on Dancing with the Stars. And I think there might have been rumblings about this case happening a few months ago which is why Monica was switched in. That's just rumor. I don't know if that's true, but I heard that. Jenny Mai was also very adorable. I thought her dance was super cute. But Sky was just like a stunning little twirling Polly Pocket. Nelly has the most dazzling smile I've ever seen in my life, and they made him dance to his own song, which I obviously loved. Um, I also was cracking up because they have like a fake 
audience laugh track. I couldn't tell if it was just production laughing and booing or something, or if it was literally like a laughing and booing track. Maybe it was just the crew because obviously because of COVID, they don't have anyone in the audience. And it's kind of sad because you know how usually on Dancing with the Stars, like all of the people, once they've danced, they can all hang out together and they watch. And now it's like they literally can't be with anyone. They just have to be with their dance pro. And um, one of the people I forgot to talk about who was going to be on this season when I talked about the cast was Anne Heche and how, you know, she's still weird as hell. Anne's a fairly prolific actress and I really know her for two things. I knew her as being with Ellen DeGeneres for three years and this next part, which I'm just straight up reading from her Wikipedia, but I remember when this happened and everyone was just like WTF. Like I remember reading about this on Perez Hilton because this was back in the day when I read Perez Hilton. So it says, Anne stated she was insane for the first 31 years of her life. I mean, same girl. I'm also 31. And that this was triggered by being sexually abused by her father during her infancy and childhood. In a series of interviews with Barbara Walters, Matt Lauer, and Larry King to promote Call Me Crazy in 2001, Anne stated on national television that she created a fantasy world called the fourth dimension to make herself feel safe and had an alter ego who was the daughter of God and half-sister of Jesus Christ named Celestia, who had contacts with extraterrestrial life forms. She said she recovered from her mental health concerns following the incident in Cantua Creek and she has put her alter ego behind her. And, you know, at the time when this was coming out, I don't think I really knew it was stemming from any sort of trauma. I was just like, oh, she's batshit. Like, that that was my perception of it. Um, But she seems like a firecracker still. And actually, she danced pretty well. So if you're not watching Dancing with the Stars, I'm telling you, like, this might be a good starter season for you. I really love Tyra as host, just as I expected I would. And she's having to carry it, you know, herself because... Aaron Andrews had Tom Berger on and Tyra's just out there making it work doing her Eve thing I I just love Tyra I don't know what it is I just can't ever stop loving her uh another thing I watched wow guys heavy on the tv and movie watching this week was the Paris Hilton YouTube documentary and I don't know if they did a lot of traditional marketing with this so if you guys haven't heard about it go watch it on YouTube it's free I think it was like almost two hours long And I was just sucked in and enthralled from the beginning because, again, I've been a Paris Hilton fan since forever. I Again, I teethed on her as, like, my celebrity gossip socialite source, like, and just, like, all of her clothes. And I just thought, oh, I was like, oh, she's, like, the definition of cool. I feel like she single-handedly, like, we talked about this before, made Juicy Couture a thing. I think that could, there's so many things in our pop culture lexicon that I feel like you can directly trace back to Paris Hilton. Kenzie and I were talking about that super, super iconic scene in the OC where she takes the selfie and she's like, this is, like, the modern-day autograph or whatever she says. And, ugh. Yeah, Kenzie is pointing out she does it with Seth Cohen. I mean, just a a great scene, a perfect scene. And um, I don't want to spoil too much of it because I really do think you guys should watch it. But it's one of the things I want to touch on is that she brings up the fact that she was sent away to these 
like child behavioral schools when she was in high school. Like she started kind of wilding out when she was 15. She was clubbing in New York with a fake. And so Kathy Hilton was not having that. And she sent them off to these kind of like those boot camps. I feel like there used to be TV shows about it because it was like my worst nightmare that I was going to get sent to one of those, even though I was like literally didn't step a toe out of line. Like why I thought that was a possibility for me. I have no idea. Um, But she gets sent to one that like really messed her up. Like they would put her in solitary. Apparently they would strangle her, slap her. And it is kind of a powerful part of the documentary because she talks about uh, that with other survivors. And it's not something that I've really heard spoken about before. So I think there's going to be a whole journalistic uncovering of these type of schools. The one she really talked about was Provo in Utah. Cause I think that was the last one she went to and it's where shit got really bad. So I'm excited to see what comes from that and if these schools are shut down. I mean, it's messed up. It's it's my same feeling I have about going to juvenile detention centers. You see how those are run, and it's just like, oh, no, kids should not be in these sort of environments, or probably anyone for that matter. Uh, but another more lighthearted part of the film that I died over is when she's about to play Tomorrowland, and... Um, she has this boyfriend that she met at Ultra, which I was like, girl, that's the first red flag. Like, do not be picking up your homeboys at Ultra. Like I, I, I said this before she even really gets into it. I'm like, Kenzie, this is not a good sign. Like, nothing good can come of this. And of course, he's like this fuck boy. And she's about to perform. And I can't even imagine the pressure of that. Like, she's like, this is my biggest set. Like, again, I get stressed for them. I get stressed doing this podcast and I'm alone. Like I, I can't imagine the stress she'd be under and he's being a little baby complaining about her doing her job and how she was doing promo for another DJ. And she's like, it's my job. And she just seems very driven and a hard worker. And I just loved it because he pissed her off so much. She literally makes her security cut off his wristbands and his artist bands and kicks him out. And I'm just like, oh, the power, like you go girl. And he deserved it, honestly. Like I was totally on Paris's side when that was going down. And I do think the documentary as a whole is a little dramatized. And obviously it's portraying Paris in a very sympathetic, you know, she wants the viewers to be sympathetic to her when they watch it. But again, I love her and I know I always talk about Dumois, my favorite Instagram account, but a lot of people have been sending in like saying she's the sweetest girl, like these experiences they had with her. There was one girl who said that she happened to be somehow at Paris Hilton's pool party and she fell in the pool and Paris Hilton took her up to her room and gave her a Diane von Furstenberg dress so she could have dry clothes and she still has that DVF dress to this day. I mean, that is just so sweet. I don't know, guys. I don't know what you think. All right, let's get into our first cut article of the day. We have Teddy Mellencamp's Accountability Program Sounds Like Hell by Katie Heaney. We've been talking a ton about Emily Gellis versus F Factor and Tanya Zuckerbrot. I know a lot of you guys listened to that episode. It's actually my most listened to episode ever, which I feel kind of bad because I'm like, I don't even know if I did it justice, but so be it. Um... So because Emily has been uncovering things about F-Factor, people have brought up the problematic nature of Teddy Mellencamp from Real Housewife of Beverly Hills and her program that's called All In. And if you watch this most recent season, it was featured on it. Like they go to this, some retreat thing she had for it, basically. I don't know. They all seem to think it was really boring and didn't want to be there. 
Um, and it's it was the one where Kyle was so pissed because Dorit didn't, you know, show up on time and she was just getting her glam done. Anyway, sorry, I'm so all over the place. But before we get into Teddy, I want to talk about Emily's most recent F-Factor bomb that she shared. So again, Emily Gellis is the influencer who has been collecting stories from people, sharing it in her Instagram stories. So one of the most interesting things that she shared recently was this story about Lauren Spear. And back in 2011, she was 20 years old. She went to the University of Indiana, and one night she went missing. She was last seen at Kilroy's Sports Bar. And she's presumed dead because to this day she hasn't been found. And there's a rough timeline of the night she went missing. And one of the people that she met up with that night was a boy named Corey Rossman. And he was one of the last people that she was with and Lauren's parents actually brought a civil suit against him and two other men that Lauren was with that night, alleging that they supplied her with alcohol when she was visibly intoxicated. And the civil case against them was ultimately dismissed. But fast forward to today and the director of marketing at F Factor, who apparently Emily has been getting into it with, is actually Corey Rossman's sister. So this was just another bizarre tidbit that Emily put out on her Instagram and I kind of fell down this black hole of investigating. So it's just really kind of a weird web of things and... I don't know what will come of that. I'm not trying to insinuate anything, but I just something I felt like was worth sharing because she spoke about it and I haven't really seen anything about it since. But again, I wanted to look into it for you guys. So back to Teddy. Uh, an overview of the program is you pay $599 for it for the first two weeks. Holy shit, that's a lot. And you're not given food on it. It just like tells you what to do. So it's a detox program in the first two weeks. And during this whole thing, I think you have an accountability coach assigned to you who texts you to keep you accountable. And then step two is more relaxed and it costs $399 a month. And then there's step three, which costs less than that. And lastly, step four, which is maintenance. And I believe that only costs like $95 a month. So Emily posted a the plan for, I believe, the phase one, and it does seem incredibly, incredibly restrictive. Um, and apparently and bizarrely, they make you sign an NDA before starting the program, which I've never heard of for a diet program. And I haven't seen a copy of the actual NDA, but it seems to be making people scared to talk, understandably, like because they don't want to get sued. But last year, someone posted about it on Reddit and it became a thought catalog post and kind of went viral from that because the person detailed how they were only allowed 450 to 500 calories a day. And... Emily started getting messages from people confirming this about the diet, that it really was 400 to 500 calories a day. There was a daily hour-long cardio workout and the coaches who encourage users to drink water uh, if and when they're hungry and just sort of coaching them along. So I'm going to read to you some of the posts I saw. She posted like screenshots of what you do on phase one. And so for breakfast, it recommends plain oatmeal with half a cup of berries and a little brown sugar, which, okay, I guess that's fine. But then for a snack, you can have one apple, a half a cup of strawberries, one clementine, a half of avocado, one cup of peppers, one cup of watermelon, one cup of celery. And then it says, please do not repeat same stack for morning and afternoon stack. And I'm sorry, you can't have all those things. Obviously, you can pick one. Um, 
And then for lunch, you can have brown rice, quinoa, or lentils, about a half a cup with veggies and only a cup of veggies. And they have to be raw, steamed, or salad style. And they basically can't have anything on them except for lemon, pepper, soy sauce, red pepper flakes, or liquid aminos. Then there's the same snack list to choose from that I read you a second ago for after lunch. And then for dinner, you can just have soup and it's just an 8 to 10 ounce bowl. And that is it for the whole day. Um, Which honestly, it just sounds really boring. Like I'm vegetarian. So like (laughs) there's a lot of days where I eat like beans and vegetables for lunch and soup for dinner. But I, I don't know. It's I definitely like have fat in it and stuff. Like I just don't know how this would keep you full at all because there's really a minimal amount of protein and no fat. Like, I don't think any of, unless you, I mean, you'd probably need to have a half avocado as one of your snacks just to get like a little bit of fat in you. So again, this is bringing up issues that this is conducive to disordered eating, under eating, and they posted one email and I don't know if I actually, oh, I'm so annoyed because I don't think I screenshotted it and Emily is so prolific with her posts, but it was an email from the program and it was sort of like, oh, because we know that you've had an eating disorder before, please make sure that you are actually like cautious and like you don't get like too triggered by anything and like maybe talk to someone. When in reality, the the answer probably should have been like, oh, you had an eating disorder, like eating 500 calories a day is probably not the best route for you to take. And maybe you should see an actual nutritionist or registered dietitian, neither of which Teddy is. And at least Tanya, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, prop her up or anything. I definitely don't agree with what she's doing either, but at least she is a registered dietitian. And my friend did some classes for becoming a registered dietitian. And I know it's incredibly hard and scientific and hard work. Like you're taking chemistry classes and organic chemistry stuff that's over my head. That's for sure. Um, and people were posting like pictures of their text messages with their accountability coaches. So there was one that Emily posted that it's a picture of cucumbers, tomatoes, and some lentils. And I'm sure they measured them out. And the coach wrote back, lunch looks amazing. Lentils portion looks a little larger. So make sure to eat until satisfied, not full. And then the person said, oh, geez, sorry, I did two one-four spoonfuls. I will stick to the single half a cup scoop. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Two one-fourths is a half a cup. It doesn't matter which container you use. So I thought that was really bizarre. Like someone's looking at a picture and saying, oh, it looks, looks a little heavy on the lentils, like the dry-ass lentils and no sauce on them. Um, and then there's another text where it says, I already have cardio and meals all set up planned for. And the coach says, are you flying or driving? A tip I have learned from Teddy is to travel with my scale. It helps hold me accountable and it fits nicely between my clothing and my suitcase. And they go, KK, good idea. I'm driving. Uh, and they respond, awesome. Yes. Pack it with you. I mean, girl, I can barely remember to pack my favorite hair dryer. You think I'm fucking putting a scale in my car? Ew, I just hate this. Like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, guys, while I'm on this, I also saw another thing that Emily posted about the F Factor thing that I wanted to touch on because I know a few weeks back, like when I very first talked about this, I said that Tanya 
in her early days would always recommend Gigi crackers. And I said, you know, it's fine. Like Tanya doesn't have a stock in that company. Well, I don't know if this is true, but someone texted Emily and says, my friend works for the parent company and works on the Gigi brand. And Tanya has paid $100,000 directly by this stupid cracker company. So it seems like (laughs) Tanya is getting some pushback, you know, or whatever that's called, like some some I don't know she's she's getting payment from the crackers and that's um an FTC violation to not disclose that like when influencers are getting paid for a deal like that they have to disclose that it's an ad that it's sponsored that they're getting an affiliate payment from it and like I said I straight up said Tanya doesn't have stock in these crackers because she's never disclosed that she gets a kickback ah that's what I was looking for guys kickback that that word was eluding me So, okay, again, I know I keep switching back between F-Factor and Teddy, but I feel like there is some overlap. So Teddy responded saying she stands behind her program, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, of course she does. She's not going to lie or she's not going to be like, oh, yeah, everything sucks. And I, um, I guess I'll just quit my company now. So the other level of juiciness to this is that Kyle Richards, who's obviously also on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and notoriously like very much so in Teddy's corner, it's been a point of drama and contention, people thinking that Kyle and Teddy are too buddy-buddy. So she's publicly taken Teddy's side and she actually sent Emily a DM like saying she wants to be a housewife, but she'll never be one. So that caused Emily to pop off being like, yeah, you know what? I did want to be a housewife, but not anymore. Like, fuck Bravo. That's never happening. And another person who got involved is Camille Grammer, uh, who's an ex-Real Housewife of Beverly Hills. And she called the all-implant suspect, to which... Uh, Kyle responded, Camille, you really need to move on and get a life. Teddy has helped so many people and changed their lives. What are you doing every day? Treating about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? So, I mean, just talk about some messy-ass white woman drama that I am highly involved in. (laughs) Like, give me more. Um, But I hope everyone who's done this diet is okay. I mean, it does seem so restrictive and that it really could cause you to spiral down into a not good place. But let's move on to our next story, which this one's kind of long. I'm actually drinking a Post Malone's wine. I did a a video on my YouTube where I tested celebrity wines and Post Malone's came in third. But now that I'm drinking it very chilled, it's, it's quite delicious. I would buy it again. All right, so this next story. Buying myself back, when does a model own her own image? And this is by our girl, M. Rada. Emily Radachowski? I don't know. M. Rada. She, I've read her stuff before. I find her to be very eloquent. I think she's a great writer. I think she's really, really smart. And it's unfortunate that I think maybe some people don't view her that way just because how she looks. But let's get into this very long-winded story that's going to take me a while. So she opens this piece with a story from last year when she was sued by paparazzi over a copyright claim when she reposted a photo of her that the paparazzi took on her Instagram. And in the picture, she has an arrangement of flowers that she had made for her friend at the florist, and she's walking with the vase being held over her face so that you can't see her. You just see the lower portion of her body because she was clearly blocking her face from the paparazzi. 
So she says she posted the photo of her using the bouquet as a shield on her Instagram because she liked what it said about her relationship with the paparazzi and how she was being, and now she was being sued for it. So she literally gets sued for just posting this on her story. And she says, I've become more familiar with seeing myself through the paparazzi's lenses than I am with looking at myself in the mirror. And I've learned that my image, my reflection is not my own. So then she tells a story about this artist called Richard Prince, who his whole shtick was basically just blowing up Instagram photos on a canvas. And then they have sort of gross comments from his Instagram underneath. For example, on the black and white one he did of Emily, it says, were you built in a science lab by teenage boys? And apparently he'd sell these for like $100,000. And to me, it's the definition of appropriative art in my mind. It's like Warhol times 5,000. Like there's nothing creative about it. It's not, they're called paintings, like in quotation marks. It's literally looks like a shitty ass screen print on canvas. So Emily says that her boyfriend at the time wanted to buy the Richard Prince art featuring her for $80,000. And Emily points out, if I wanted to see that picture every day, I could just look at my own grid, as in her own Instagram grid where she posted the photo. But she actually ends up buying another piece that Prince did of her. It was from a picture she did for Sports Illustrated, and she split the cost of it with her boyfriend which was super Aki's because when they broke up, she had to trade two other pieces of art with him so that she could keep the Prince piece of herself. And I could be wrong, but I tried to do some digging on this. And I think that her boyfriend at the time was Jeff McGid, who is a musician, music producer, allegedly. And he's a dopey looking bald dude who wears newsboy hats. So poor Emily, she's just Ah, they're so awful. Emily's just destined to date people less attractive than her. Like her husband, I think he's her husband now. Like he's not cute either, but he's better than this Jeff Majid guy. And this jerk, whoever it was, if it wasn't Jeff, was refusing to give M the thing that was called the study, which is basically a smaller piece that Prince does to prepare for doing the larger piece of art. And the boyfriend said that Emily would have to pay him $10,000. And she says she was considering her options of like what she could do to get it back when it occurred to her that her ex had tons of naked pictures of her on his phone. And so that makes her think of the time when she was 22 years old and there was that huge actress iCloud hack that happened. And I believe this was the same one that released pictures of Jennifer Lawrence nude. And so Emily's nudes were all over the place. So because she was thinking of what happened with that story, she says, the next day I wired my ex the money, the 10K. I didn't think I could survive going through what I'd been through again. I exchanged the safety of those hundreds of Emily's for one image, an image that had been taken from my platform and produced as another man's valuable and important art. And if, if that wasn't bad enough, she tells this disgusting story. In 2012, her agent tells her she needs to buy a ticket from Penn Station so that she can take a bus out to the Catskills where a photographer named Jonathan Letter would take her photos for a magazine and that she would spend the night there and she wouldn't be paid, but the exposure would be her payment and he would reimburse her bus ticket. And this reminds me of Paris Hilton talking about the sex tape and she touches on it in her documentary and when she's talking about it, just the sadness of it and really getting across the point that I do believe she was an 18 year old who got taken advantage of. So just, you know, watch that. Again, give me your thoughts. So back to Emily, she says, 
before she went to go do this photo shoot, she tried to do her due diligence and look up some of his stuff online. And she said his Instagram stuff looked boring, but when she looked online, it looked pretty legit. And she trusted her agent and she said, besides, my agent was in full control of my career. I did what she told me to do. And in return, she was supposed to expand my portfolio so I could book more paid jobs and establish myself in the industry. And the whole time that she's driving from getting picked up from the Catskills bus station and she's driving to the dude's house, he seems pretty disinterested, not really speaking to her. And she gets to his house and his kids are at the table and there's a makeup artist there and she starts doing Emily's makeup with a heavy eye and then there's lingerie set out and Emily's like, okay, I guess this is a lingerie shoot. She had done them before in the past, but then the kids get picked up and then she has sort of this like weird pasta dinner with the MUA and the Jonathan guy. And this is when things get even weirder. He starts talking about his crazy ex-wife which like, hello, when a guy is calling his ex crazy, like, you know, it's just really him being the worst. Like, no, I'm sorry. It's like, you're crazy. And you're the one having an affair with a 21 year old actress, which he tells Emily. And Emily was 20 at the time this is happening. And then he shows her nudes of the actress that he was having an affair with, like just so unprofessional and disgusting. And it's so hard. Like, I, I obviously don't work in the creative field and I do understand in the creative field things are a little bit more loosey-goosey and people feel like they can have this more open sharing of information and laid back but there has to be a line somewhere like this this is just so beyond unprofessional and obviously this story is about to get way worse so I'm sure there's so many things that don't go down like this but how often do you hear these stories where a young model is told to show up at some, you know, person's garage and they have to take nudie pics. Like, it's just so taking advantage of these people. So they finally start this shoot and the whole time he's pouring Emily more and more wine. And remember, she's only 20 years old. And so he takes the first set of Polaroids because that was his style. He would take these Polaroid pictures and he tells Emily they look stiff. Uh, Let's try naked now. So this part of her writing, it really struck me hard. She says, I've been shot nude a handful of times, always by men. I've been told by plenty of photographers and agents that my body was one of the things that made me stand out among my peers. My body felt like a superpower. I was confident naked, unafraid, and proud. Still, though, the second I dropped my clothes, a part of me disassociated. I began to float outside of myself, watching as I climbed back onto the bed. I arched my back and pursed my lips, fixating on the idea of how I might look through his camera lens. His flash was so bright, and I'd had so much wine that giant black spots were expanding and floating in front of my eyes. I, Carly, Jonathan said, smirking as he shot. Only his mouth was visible, the rest of his face eclipsed by his camera. That was the name of the Nickelodeon show I'd been on for two episodes while in high school. Ugh, barf. It just, the fact that he was talking about something she did that's like a children's show while he's shooting her naked is just disgusting. And it gets worse. He then tells her he thought she would have been fat based on some Googling of her that he did. And just, what the fuck? I mean, I've seen pictures of Emily when she was young and she's always looked like a damn model probably to her detriment because when she was 14 she just she looked like a stunning 25 year old and it just makes me sick that men think that they can comment on people's bodies in such a cavalier way even though I get that a model 
part of their job is their body. It's just, ugh. And then he made gross comments about her nipples, which I just don't even want to repeat here. And then she doesn't use the word sexually assault, but he basically sexually assaults poor drunk Emily. And the next morning, she's on her way back to New York and realizes that he never even reimbursed her for the bus fare. But he had already posted a picture of her on his Instagram with the caption, I Carly. Oh, and you might think that's the worst part of this story. And as that is awful. That is so awful. I'm not actually going to say this next part's worse, but it just goes on. So a few years later, Emily gets a call from reporters asking her about her new book. And she's like, what? I don't have a book. So she Googles it. And there it was. Emily Ratajkowski, the book priced at $80. Some of the images were posted on Jonathan's Instagram and they were among the most revealing and vulgar Polaroids he had taken of me. So basically there's this whole book. It's like a white cover. It says Emily Ratajkowski in black writing and in it is just all the pictures of the Polaroids that he took. So she hires a lawyer. She sends cease and desist. She tries to get it taken down to no avail. And she writes, the problem with justice or even the pursuit of justice in the U.S. is that it costs a lot. For the four days of letters and calls for which I had enlisted my lawyer's services, I racked up a bill of nearly $8,000. And while I did have fame, I didn't have the kind of money I told Jonathan I hoped to have one day. I heard from friends that Jonathan was a rich kid who had never needed a paycheck in his life. My dad was a high school teacher. My mom was an English teacher. I had no one in my life to swoop in and to help cover the costs. And this is actually what we were talking about the other week with F-Factor drama, how legal suits, they just cost a shit ton of money. And then this dude has the audacity to say this. Oh my God. When the fact checker I worked with on this story reached out to Jonathan about what happened that night after the shoot, he said my allegations were too tawdry and childish to respond to. He added, you do know who we are talking about, right? This is the girl that was naked in Treats magazine and bounced around naked in the Robin Thicke video at the time. You really want someone to believe she was a victim? And this honestly reminded me of that episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians where Kim is doing a shoot for Playboy, but she doesn't think it's going to be nude. And so she gets really upset when she gets this shoot and she's feeling like she's having to show more of her body than she thought she was going to. And I remember so many people at the time saying like, it doesn't matter. Like she's already showed it all. Like get over it. Why? You can't like show it all and then care. But I think that's such a awful way of looking at things just because you showed your whole body at one point that doesn't mean that the public has ownership of your body forever and every shoot that you do from that point on means you have to show everything like I think that's the same with like this like the rape culture of oh if you have sex with someone one time they're entitled to sex anytime after that like that's not how it works there's always this level of consent that I think needs to be there and him writing that just confirms everything. Like, I totally believe Emily in this. Ugh, what a... Ugh. So, and then as the years went on, this disgusting man just kept releasing photo books of Emily. I believe he released three of them. And she talks about at the end, she's kind of just, you know, thinking about possibilities. And she... It's like, maybe I'll sell my prince picture and use that money to sue Jonathan. But she ends the article with this. Eventually, Jonathan will run out of unseen, crusty Polaroids, but I will remain as the real Emily, the Emily who owns the high art Emily, and the one who wrote this essay too. She will continue to carve out control where she can find it. 
Now, I'm not saying Emily is perfect. I know there's been a lot of things about the whole Emily and her husband not paying rent in their New York apartment, but I just feel for her so much with this article, and it just blew my mind. (sighs) Okay, I want to end with something way more lighthearted. Let's talk about the other Chris Evans pick by Amanda Arnold. She writes, Chris Evans shared what started out as an innocuous video of him and his friends playing the classic game of heads up to his Instagram story. But when the screen recorded clip of the video minimized at the end, viewers got a fleeting glimpse of Evans' camera roll, which notably featured what can best be described as a tasteful photo of his genitals. Yes, so that all happened. True. But thank you to Amanda because I have this same exact question that she poses. And she says, I'm also grateful for these calls to stop talking about the nude because there is a much more interesting image contained on the camera roll. A smoldering photo of Evans himself with slightly pouted lips and furrowed brows emblazoned with the phrase, guard, period, that, period, pussy. Guard that pussy. And she asked, did he send this to Lily James? Like, did he? I I need to know. I need Jenny Slater's input. Here's my theory, guys, because you know I have to always... Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Jenny Slate. (laughs) I I always have to share my um, theory. I think someone airdropped this onto his phone like he's playing heads up with his friends. And I think someone just like searched for this meme online and airdropped it into his phone. And I've decided that next time I'm near a celebrity, if that ever happens again, that I'm airdropping this onto their phone. All right. Let's get into our legit shit for the week. First up. I finally bought a rechargeable lighter from Amazon. I've been wanting one of these forever because I always buy those ones you get from like Walgreens that are like, you know, you click them and they have the child lock. This one's so much cooler. It's like electricity. It's like a little bug zap or something. And you do it and I feel like an X-Man and it lights my candles and you can recharge it so you don't have to like buy it when the little propane thing runs out. I mean, who knows? This could break in a month. I don't know. It costs like 13 bucks. I'll obviously link it in the show notes. And then I have to give a shout out to Anna because she had two recommendations for me on legit shit. And I watched one of them, which is The Duchess on Netflix that stars Catherine Ryan. And it's like this kind of semi-autobiographical sitcom. And she's just hilarious. I The writing of it kind of reminds me of like a raunchier Mindy show. Um I like it. Girl power. Comedians. Yes. So thank you, Anna, for that. And thank you also to Verge for sending me a legit shit. I need to buy the things that you and Anna recommended so I can give them a go. I love getting recs from you guys. If you have any to share, slide into the DMs. You can find me at Bailey Evan or at Kind of Cute Podcast on Instagram. You can email me. I'm very accessible. I don't really get anyone sliding into my DMs, so I'd love to chat with you. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave it a five-star review on iTunes or on uh, whatever it's called these days, podcasts on Apple or wherever you listen. And I will see you next week. Bye.